0: Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke,
1: And I'm Jay McKenzie.
0: Trump is finally indicted, but how much does it really matter? A GOP messaging consultant threatens to slaughter the human rights campaign, and Russia's war of choice rages on in Ukraine. We'll discuss all of this and more. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you.
1: Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to the 34 felony criminal charges of falsifying business records brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. If you were expecting huge protest and really anything newsworthy during this spectacle, the entire event must have been a huge letdown.
0: Huge letdown.
1: <laughs> Looking at you, CNN, and no. everyone else who needs Trump to keep the lights on. But... <laughs> <laughs> Those ratings, got to have them. But yeah, MAGA absolutely dramatized every detail of Trump's trip to Manhattan, from the car ride from Mar-a-Lago to the airport, the plane ride to New York, and the short trip to the courtroom.
0: And we didn't even get a Trump mugshot. We saw MTG and the New York Young Republican Club folks make a big fuss. Some Trump supporters came out, but the whole thing was pretty lame, honestly, and not even really all that newsworthy.
1: It didn't stop Trump's campaign from putting out a fake mugshot and attempting to fundraise because, of course, they did. Oh, um, they, they
0: made a haul out of that. They made a whole lot of money out of that. And wow, yeah. What was it, like $10 million in the week that the indictment news dropped to the time he was actually indicted?
1: Fleece the rubes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I saw all of it, but I saw Jason Miller and Eric Trump and all the people. Posa was talking about Trump's trip to the airport as the funeral procession of the Republic. So we're looking now at this footage of President Trump as he's going up the stairs to Mar-a-Lago. Excuse me, up the stairs to Trump Force One, left Mar-a-Lago for Trump Force One. The plane is taxiing off right now on its way to New York City. He, he waved. He waved once to the cameras, to the crowd, and in a sense, he's waving goodbye to the republic that once was. He's waving goodbye to the country that we were. We are a new country now, and it's as simple as that. We are a new country now, and we are in uncharted waters. <laughs> they had every... <laughs> <laughs> Every step uh, along the way look at the huge crowds and uh, Donald Trump is is bravely going to to stand up to the Soros funded DA and all of this it's it, he got on a plane there wasn't even a mugshot. We got a couple photos of him in the courtroom.
0: Knowing Poso, it was that Easter Sunday energy coming up. He was going for a Palm Sunday vibe of him, you know, coming into Bethlehem to get persecuted.
1: I think it was Gavin Wax, the head of the New York Young Republican Club, who put some picture up of him and Poso and a few other people standing in front of this huge crowd. Huge. Huge. And honestly, the majority of the people in the crowd were reporters. <laughs> It was chaotic because they picked the most favorable image and, and oh, standing up to the world. But it was just people were there for a story and there wasn't much of a story. And MTG yelled some things after she got her little 60 minute spot mm. and then proceeded to claim that the Democrats are the party of the pedophiles.
0: Absolutely. That's a
1: regular one for her. Great work. 60 Minutes, really important, hard-hitting journalism there.
0: This is a person whose views on everything we absolutely need to know, guys. Thank you, Leslie Stahl. We appreciate that.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much. And and did they challenge her? Did they really push her? Did we learn anything new? No, she just was legitimized and... Now it's easier for her and Kevin McCarthy to sell the she's she's learned. She's learned from her mistakes. She's matured as a person. Uh, sure thing. She's sure. Still still claiming that Joe Biden is coming for your children and the Democrats are the party of the pedophiles. So I mean,
0: she's not pushing frazzle drip anymore, which I suppose is an improvement, but not by much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the Jewish space lasers were probably the high point of her crazy, maybe for now, for this <laughs> this decade, but give her some time, yeah, I don't know. She'll top it. <laughs> yeah, so we we got nonstop network coverage from I think just about everyone mm-hmm. other than MSNBC of Trump and the non-event. <laughs>
0: It was about all we heard for about the last week in mainstream media for this space. It was nothing but Trump is getting indicted and various rumors about how this was all going to go. Trump out there controlling the narrative on, is he going to surrender? Is he not going to surrender? It was just an absolute shit show. And I'm glad that they finally got it out of the way. And it ended up just being this most anticlimactic thing.
1: Yeah, it was tough for all the people who... Claim that Trump was going to barricade himself in Mar-a-Lago, or
0: I, it's just pulling O.J. Simpson, you know, uh, white Bronco right. with you know Jason Miller driving, or whatever they were planning on doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, it was it was just a, a lot of nothing. But they can't help themselves, and even though it's it's easy to poke fun at CNN here, uh, while their their television coverage leaves a lot to be desired, their journalists. Are still good, and on that note, let's let's read a little bit of, of their CNN's coverage of the case from Jeremy Herb, Kara Scannell, and Lauren Del They write Trump surrendered and was placed under arrest Tuesday before he was arraigned in a historic and unprecedented court appearance in which the former president heard the charges against him for the first time. While the arraignment was routine, the case is now poised to linger over Trump's 2024 candidacy as he fights the charges both in court and in public. Prosecutors alleged that Trump sought to undermine the integrity of the 2016 election through a hush money scheme with payments made to women who claimed they had extramarital affairs with Trump. He has denied the affairs. Trump was part of an unlawful plan to suppress negative information, including an illegal payment of $130,000 that was ordered by the defendant to suppress the negative information that would hurt his campaign, prosecutors alleged.
0: Trump repeatedly and fraudulently falsified New York business records to conceal criminal conduct that hid damaging information from the voting public during the 2016 presidential election, according to the charging documents. After the arraignment, Trump immediately flew back to Florida. He held an event with his supporters Tuesday evening at his Mar-a-Lago resort, where Trump made his public case against the indictment and previewed how he intends to fight the charges politically as he runs again for the White House in 2024. While he was warned by Judge Juan Merchon during Tuesday's arraignment not to make comments that could, quote, jeopardize the rule of law, unquote, or create civil unrest, Trump railed later that evening against Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and the judge himself.
2: The criminal is the district attorney because he illegally leaked massive amounts of grand jury information for which he should be prosecuted. Or at a minimum, he should resign. Judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign and a lot of it.
1: I want to talk about the threats because plenty of MAGA, including Don Jr., almost immediately went after the daughter of the judge overseeing Trump's case. But before we get to that, I did want to mention some details about the trial itself. As of now, the current trial date is set for January 2024, so we're nine months out. But Trump and his legal team are going to do absolutely everything possible to delay the trial as long as possible. This is recent reporting from Politico. They write, Trump has spent decades refining tactics for prolonging his legal fights as his lawyers attempt to outweigh and outlast the patience of his adversaries. Though a criminal indictment presents him with a different set of options and obstacles than his many previous bouts in civil court, there is still a substantial menu for him to choose from. Quote, if they're doing their job, they're going to do everything they can to delay, 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 delay. Said Catherine Christian, a 30 year veteran of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office who is now a defense attorney. Quote, every single motion they can think of, that's what they're going to file, unquote. Among the moves that could chew up time an attempt to dismiss the entire case, a bid to relocate his trial outside of New York City, an effort to disqualify the prosecutor or judge in his case, a bid to move the case from state to federal court extensive negotiations over security protocols for his appearances in court, and a motion to reduce his charges from felonies to misdemeanors.
0: Trump's lawyers have also signaled that they're likely to try and get the judge to pry into the grand jury proceedings, looking to show that the charges lack probable cause or that there was some impropriety in instructing the grand jurors. Such efforts are almost impossible in federal courts, but are allowed in New York. You'd make a motion to ask the court to review the grand jury minutes and determine whether or not the DA presented legally sufficient evidence, said Michael Scotto, a former chief of the Rackets Bureau in the same Manhattan DA's office prosecuting Trump. It's not the lockbox it is in the federal system. Ironically, Trump could also cause delay by complaining about the prosecution's own foot-dragging. He can argue that the delay in filing charges over events that occurred about six years ago violates his due process rights under the New York Constitution, Scotto added.
1: Yeah, that article nailed it. And we're not attorneys. No. Uh, No. No, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're not sure how long Trump and his legal team can delay proceedings. But they're going to throw everything they can think of at this case. And... Honestly, I could see them pushing it until after the 2024 general election.
0: Absolutely. And the point is that we don't know yet.
1: Yep. And I'm happy that the rule of law is being upheld here. Bragg's office thinks they have a strong enough case to prosecute, so they should. And they are. But zooming out a little bit, it's pretty clear from the reactions we're seeing both by Republican politicians and the online influencers This indictment is going to help
0: Trump win the Republican primary. Right. But at the same time, it's really difficult to see any way that this helps Trump in the general election. Outside of the MAGA base, Americans are really tired of the drama around Trump. They're sick of the divisive rhetoric, and they really don't want to elect a man who might ultimately end up as a convicted felon.
1: And this is still only one of many investigations into Donald Trump that's still ongoing. (laughs) There's the case in Georgia surrounding attempts to overturn the election. Special Counsel Jack Smith continues looking into Trump's handling of classified documents. And there's the civil case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James.
0: The MAGA response in those cases is very likely to mirror what we saw yesterday, isn't it? It's what they do.
1: Yeah, uh, of course. It's the same playbook, and they're just rolling it out once again. And here's what Don Jr. shared yesterday. He shared an article from Breitbart, and Don Jr. writes in the tweet, which he also posted on Truth Social, because of course, course. (laughs) he said, seems relevant. Yet another connection in this hand-picked Democrat show trial. The BS never ends, folks. Daughter of judge on Trump case worked on Biden-Harris campaign. So I'm not I'm not going to get into the details of the story. I'm not even going to dispute the facts of it. It's entirely possible that the daughter did work on the Biden-Harris campaign. But this article included a picture of the judge with his daughter. It's... Very clearly intimidation, Mm -hmm. despite all the Republicans who say it's not, it's just a fact. It puts a target on her back. She is a young woman who should not have to live in fear of some right wing nut job doing God only knows what. But now she has to. And that's awful. But we've seen them do this more times than I can remember. They scrutinize Every judge, every opponent, every person that is a threat to them, every member of the jury, and and they look for a person that they can scapegoat, and they go looking for that narrative, and eventually they find someone with a detail that they can exploit to their benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, Don Jr. wasn't even the only Trump that shared that article. According to Jezebel, Eric shared it too. And he wrote, well, of they are all handpicked. It is all prearranged. This corruption is on a different level. Again, this is what you, like you said, this is what they do. They go after any detail they can find. It's never about we're innocent. It's about, hey, look at these other people. Look at their crimes. Look at what they're all about.
1: Right. And it's not even strictly democrat and republican if the judge's wife had worked for jeb bush's campaign they would do the Mm -hmm. same thing it's the rhinos they're gonna they might oh the daughter is a is a liberal and a democrat and antifa and the the wife is a rhino republican and see now they're joining forces to bring trump down once again Mm mm-hmm Yeah, as long as it's not
0: America First or, you know, MAGA, they're going to go after it. The goal here is to intimidate anyone who may hold them accountable, such as the judge. But it's also a way of convincing the MAGA audience that this trial is illegitimate. The idea being they're a Democrat, Democrats hate us. This is all a witch hunt by Democrats to bring down your favorite president.
1: So if you or your family member donated $5 to a Democrat or, or a rhino or said Joe Biden is good... Or Donald Trump is bad on social media at any point, at any time. They will strip any context from that and they will go out with their team of rat fuckers who are going to find that post or that donation. And it's going to get shared on every right wing blog or rumble stream from now until the end of the trial.
0: Mm -hmm. And even then they might keep bringing it up after the trial if it's the next narrative they're trying to sell. That's
1: what they do. Mm hmm. But speaking of somewhat predictable narratives, there was another story this week that we need to talk about.
0: Here's reporting from Jordan Fisher at the Washington, D.C. CBS affiliate WUSA 9. A Howard County man threatened to, quote, slaughter, unquote, members of a prominent LGBTQ rights organization in an apparent response to the mass shooting at a Christian school in Tennessee last week, according to charging documents unsealed Monday. Adam Michael Natina of West Friendship, Maryland, was charged Monday with one felony count of interstate communications with a threat to injure. The charge carries a maximum sentence of up to five years in prison. In the voicemail, Natina allegedly appeared to reference the Covenant school shooting and repeatedly threatened violence. Quote, You guys going to shoot up our schools now? Is that how it's going to be? you just going to kill little kids, Natina reportedly said. Let me tell you something. We're waiting. We're waiting. And if you want a war, we'll have a war and we'll fucking slaughter you back. We'll cut your throats. We'll put a bullet in your head. We're not going to give a fuck. You started this bullshit. You're going to kill us. We're going to kill you 10 times more in full.
1: Investigators identified Natina by tracing the phone number that placed the call back to his parents' house in West Friendship, where, according to a Substack post, he had recently moved home. They also confirmed with his former employer, a direct mail firm in Ashburn, Virginia, that serves conservative candidates, that Natina had left his position in February and moved home to Maryland. According to Natina's LinkedIn page, he had previously worked for the firm as a campaign copywriter, developing direct mail fundraising copy for clients, quote, including House Freedom Caucus members and leading Republican challengers and targeted races. Unquote.
0: The article later adds, Natina's articles for Catholic Vote include a June 2016 piece in response to the fatal shooting of 49 people at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando titled, quote, We Have Nothing to Apologize For, unquote. And a piece published Thursday about the resignation of Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, press secretary, titled, quote, Democrat spokeswoman resigns after inciting violence, unquote. The article included a section called... Trans Radicalization is Growing, which warned about the purported risk of violence from the April 1st Trans Day of Vengeance, a hyperbolically named annual event near the Supreme Court meant to raise awareness for transgender issues. The event was canceled last week after organizers said they received a credible threat of gun violence. Both articles were removed from Catholic Vote's site shortly after WUSA 9 reached out for comment on Tuesday, although they remained available on the Internet Archive. So this gets
1: into what we talked about in our previous episode about Trump's rally in Waco and the significance of that particular location to the far right. So let me read from Kathleen Bellew's thread here. This was on April 3rd. She wrote, People who are writing there are no signs of extremist reactions to the indictment should not look for attacks on New York City tomorrow meaning the day that Trump visited the courtroom in Manhattan. She continues, they should look for lone wolf style attacks in two weeks. MASH casualty attacks, not January 6th, follow the Waco reference. We are approaching the Oklahoma city bombing anniversary, April 19th, and we should watch targets like federal buildings, courthouses, people seen as enemies of the white power and militant right movements and infrastructure and symbolic targets. It won't be a mass protest like January 6th, in this historian of the movement's humble opinion.
0: And these alleged threats made by Adam Natina against the LGBTQ community are in line with these sorts of responses. Thankfully, no one was physically harmed in this case, but the next person may skip the threats and jump straight into violence.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely the concern. It's mentioned in the criminal complaint against Natina, but I also looked at his Facebook page, He posted some pictures of his rifle there. Let me read from the criminal complaint here. Actually, it's page four. It's page four point seventeen. On March seventh, twenty twenty three, an article attributed to quote Adam Natina unquote was posted on the personal blogging website Substack. In the article, Natina wrote that he recently moved back to his childhood home in Maryland. At the end of the article is a byline that reads, quote, Adam Natina grew up in Ellicott City and has spent most of his life trying to escape Maryland. He likes to drive his Mustang into the West Texas desert and shoot Coors Light cans with his 1969 Tula AKM, I, unquote. I believe that in this byline, Natina is referencing the 1969 Tula AKM semi-automatic rifle, which he posted Pictures of on November 24th, 2021. And I did also want to say that we looked through Facebook and there are several pictures that his friends posted of Natina at the gun range Mm -hmm. with different weapons.
0: He is definitely a weapons guy. And we also found the Substack article mentioned there, which lists Adam Natina as the author. Here's what he published about a month ago. My despair started at the end of a two-year relationship with the woman I was supposed to marry. It got worse when I decided to quit my high-playing political consulting job in D.C., seemingly convinced that America is too far gone to save. It snowballed when, in a panic, I declared to everyone I knew that I was fine, just fine, and taking some time for myself. All the while, isolating myself from family and friends, and really just taking time to get craft beer trashed on golf courses, ski slopes, and hiking trails. Into this self-inflicted disaster, poor decisions, bad luck, and objectively God's plan for me, I moved back to my childhood home in Maryland to get my bearings and crash out of the washful eyes of all the people who used to tell me how much potential I had.
1: Continuing here with the same post, and for context, Natina is comparing himself to Guy Crouchback. He's the main character in the second World War trilogy, Sword of Honor, written by the late English novelist Evelyn Waugh. Natina wrote, At the risk of drawing attention to myself from FBI informants, who, you know, are actively spying on Catholics these days, I've noticed Waugh writes Crouchback in a way sympathetic to many of today's conservative Catholic men. At a time when Vladimir Putin defends the institution of the family, while our own government raids the homes of pro-life activists, many of us 20-and-30-somethings want nothing to do with secular, neoconservative, and neoliberal crusades. We have seen American empire in the dollar signs of Raytheon contractors and rainbow flags over Middle Eastern embassies, and it's not something for which we can pledge allegiance." All this begs the question, if there are no good guys left on a grand scale, and if your vocation is seemingly dead in the water, and if your faith compels you to view this world as your ship and not your home, what the hell are you supposed to do at the ripe old age of 34? Yeah, it seems like he decided what you're supposed to do is call in some threats to the local lgbtq plus group that is standing with
0: oppressed minority groups because no political solution again sometimes
1: i want these people to reach deep into their locker and think what would jesus do would he tell you to call in these death threats because i feel like he wouldn't i feel like that's not the teachings that i learned in sunday school
0: Yeah, same here. I don't remember anything about Jesus in an AR-15 that just was not on the menu. Yeah. Of course, I was raised Catholic, so maybe it's different elsewhere.
1: Uh, I'm Presbyterian, and this guy appears to be Catholic, so if anything, you should know better than me.
0: Yeah, man, sorry. I missed that that day in Sunday school. (laughs) I missed a few, but apparently that was a day I really missed. Uh,
1: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but it's so absurd and absurdly wrong and absurdly not Christian. And these people still claim to be following the light of of biblical teaching. And it, it's... It's
0: just not. It's just not. The phrase Prince of Peace got kicked around a lot when I was a lot younger. And I can't figure out how you're getting from that to the idea that, you know, Jesus would take an AR-15 down to the, the human rights campaign.
1: Yeah. And and we're sharing all of this because if what's alleged here is true, Adam Natina seems to fit the profile we've come to expect from potential lone wolf targets. This is a guy who's clearly going through some things in his personal life. His relationship ended. He lost his job. He moved back in with his parents. He's probably got too much time on his hands and then he hears about this awful mass shooting at a school in Nashville, Tennessee. Even the things that he wrote about in that Substack article, talking about Raytheon contractors and rainbow flags. It's all the memes of the far right. Mm-hmm. It's all the, the MAGA memes. And the he's, you can tell from just the little snippets we get here that this was a guy who was very online. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. He was... He was writing and writing about politics and our culture, and it is all extremely online. He shared stuff from Jordan Peterson on Facebook, from Lauren Southern, <laughs> who are both terrible. Yes, terrible and active in the in far right circles. He shared stuff from Rand Paul. He shared articles from places like Breitbart. So you can imagine the sort of stuff he was reading.
0: And I want to make it clear here that we don't have a whole lot of compassion for this guy. Plenty of people have bad patches in their life. Plenty of people go through breakups. Most of them don't get over it by calling in death threats to the local LGBTQ outfit. That's just not something that we're at all down with or sympathizing with here. And like we talked about before, right wing media claimed without evidence that the Nashville mass shooter was targeting Christians. They framed this story as a supposed Christian massacre by trans terrorists. Again, they could not prove this, but the claim was everywhere. So here's this guy, Adam Natina, who is himself a Christian. He's written anti-trans articles before for a Catholic website. He sees all of this messaging and decides he has to go do something about it, so he uses his phone and threatens one of the largest pro-LGBTQ groups in the country.
1: And clearly he owns guns, or multiple guns, and... Frankly, we're just glad he didn't use them.
0: And like we said, we want to be clear that we don't mention his personal life to shame him or garner sympathy for him. His story fits a specific profile. He was sympathetic to the right-wing rhetoric, and he was at a place in his life where he felt compelled to act on it.
1: The right loves to pretend like stochastic terrorism doesn't exist. But if what's alleged here is accurate, then this seems like a prime example of that term in action.
0: Hmm. And isn't it interesting how another white Christian in the United States points to Vladimir Putin's Russia as, quote, the defender of the institution of the family?
1: Yeah, it's almost like the propaganda is working. I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Natina resurfaces one day with a Russian, Slavic, or Italian wife.
0: (laughs) That does seem to happen sometimes. And Anyway, speaking of Russia, there's a lot of news related to their war of choice in Ukraine and on the domestic front in the Russian Federation.
1: Rather than trying to stick on one topic, we wanted to quickly recap several because there's there's quite a bit to keep up with. And let's just hit some of the most important points here. First, the Russian government is holding Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich as a hostage.
0: The Russians predictably call it something else, but let's be real here. They arrested a journalist on trumped-up espionage charges, and they're refusing to release him. They want something in return. We just don't know exactly what that is yet.
1: Yeah, they did this with Brittany Greiner. They did this with Paul Whelan. This is what the Kremlin does. This is what Iran and North Korea do. It's a terrible situation, and we can only hope Mr. Gershkovich is reunited safely with his family as soon as possible and i and i will say the the wall street journal has done an admirable job of getting the message out and humanizing him and explaining that this is a man who wrote about russia because he cares about the russian people they make it clear that he wanted his reporting to make a difference he he wrote about a place he cared about where he knew people i i don't i don't think it's possible to be a A journalist who covers Putin and the Kremlin, honestly, who can feel any sort of camaraderie or, or love for the Russian government. But I think he, he cared about the Russian people and perhaps he was taken advantage of or picked because of that, because he put himself in harm's way. And it's, it's terrible what has happened. And I, I just, I hope that he comes home soon.
0: Definitely. In other Russia-related news, Finland is now a member of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which just happens to double the amount of border Russia shares with NATO members. According to NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg, Putin had, quote, failed in his attempt to, quote, slam NATO's door shut, unquote.
1: Stoltenberg was also quoted as saying, today we show the world that he failed, that aggression and intimidation do not work. Instead of less NATO, he, meaning Putin, has achieved the opposite, more NATO. And our door remains firmly open, unquote. So Finland's history with Russia is fairly complicated. Prior to becoming an independent nation in 1917, Finland existed as the Grand Duchy of Finland. This was an autonomous or self-governing region within the Russian Empire. They then fought against the Soviets twice in World War II before eventually making peace with Stalin. But during the Cold War, Finland stayed neutral. And even though the country has increasingly looked westward after the collapse of the USSR... Finland joined the European Union in 1995. The country has maintained at least nominal neutrality in their dealings with NATO and the Russian Federation.
0: That is until Russia launched their full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022.
1: Yeah. War crimes and the kind of death and destruction that the Kremlin chose to unleash can change opinions really quickly and, and like, it seems like they did here. And
0: like you said, Finland's been to war with these people two times before they know exactly what they're getting into with the Russians.
1: Yeah. They learn the hard way. Uh-huh. And that is generally the case when
0: you are Russia's neighbor. And this is why Finland is a fortress. They have up to 900,000 folks in the reserves that practically every man, woman, and child in the country knows how to have some level of military training. And they have basically, basically, hardened the country. Again, you live next door to Russia. These all seem like smart ideas.
1: Yeah. And there, there's no way around this. This is a huge, huge problem for the Kremlin. And it is a major failure for Putin, for his government, for his imperial ambitions, which I think still exist. But when you, when you keep getting pushed back by the Ukrainians, when they keep holding the line, And now Finland is in NATO. The future that Russia had in mind for itself a year and a half ago is it's not possible now. It just it just isn't. We're not going to sit here and try to downplay the sort of malevolent, nefarious role that Russia is going to play in the future. But they're going to be doing it as a junior partner Mm -hmm. to China they are going to have to follow china's lead on anything that they do and they they were uh a bit of a paper tiger here and and finland like you said they um they do take their defense seriously they did not choose this path until they felt that they had no choice and this is not what putin had in mind when he invaded ukraine not at all uh,
0: like Vladislav Serkov famously said, there will be a long journey through the thorns to the stars. And I don't think he quite meant it like this, but <laughs> we're definitely in the thorns then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But Putin made the decision easy for the fence. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Russia's other neighbor, Sweden, is being prevented from joining NATO, uh, as it seems both Turkey and Hungary claim to have issues with their membership.
0: So... What's that about?
1: It seems like Turkey's leader Erdogan and Hungary's leader Orbán are both holding out for a better a better deal. I'm not sure how much they actually want to stop Sweden from joining NATO. I just think in at least in Orbán's case from what I've read, the EU is withholding some funds from Hungary because Orbán, well, his self-styled illiberal government is rather anti-democratic. And the EU has certain laws of uh, what is allowed and not allowed within their member countries. And Orban's illiberal movement has pushed the boundaries and pushed the limits and at times gone over them. And he has clamped down on the free press and the judiciary in the country. And the EU has said, okay, you, they have not gone so far as to try and remove Hungary from the EU, but they have withheld some funding, and he wants that money.
0: Right, right. So it's kind of a stick-up, That's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be something that, that Turkey's looking for. They've tried to get... They'll always want more military equipment or a bigger hand in negotiations in Ukraine. Turkey, for a while at least was kind of a, a midway point between Russia and NATO, even though it's part of NATO. And at times people have kind of wondered aloud why Turkey was a member of NATO. And I'm not entirely sure myself, but, (laughs) um, but they are. And so, yeah, they're, they're holding out for a better deal. I'm not sure how long they'll hold out. And it is, Unfortunate that Sweden and Finland did not join at the same time. I think it is almost certainly inevitable that the Swedes will join. But Orban wants his money, but he doesn't want to stop uh, getting that that sweet Russian energy. Nope. He's also said some things that have really upset the Ukrainians, because he is again, been fairly pro-Kremlin in some of the disputes and the back and forth and Hungary does share a border with Ukraine and they aren't happy about that. So it's a little bit of a sticky situation, but still by and large, despite Orban's footsie with Putin, the geopolitical situation for Russia right now is, I can't remember a time that it was worse. No, especially, (laughs) especially since I know uh, several more EU countries have said if Putin sets foot on their soil, they will arrest him right? because of the International Criminal Court warrant out for his arrest. So, yeah, talk about talk about isolation. Yeah. we Not only do we not want to deal with you, if you <laughs> if you show up here, we're going to put the cuffs on.
0: And they're also having to basically go around hat in hand begging for military help. I mean, who'd have thunk that they'd have been asking the Iranians for help? I mean, that's yeah. wild. They're very definitely the junior partner in the China relationship. This is not the great Russian empire that Putin sold people.
1: Well, and we have that story about Prigozhin and his mercenaries trying to get military equipment from North Korea.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: mean, I mean, the Cold War, it, it absolutely went the other way. You had, you had Soviet pilots flying, quote unquote, North Korean jets mm-hmm. and... Now you're, yeah, hat in hand with the North Koreans. It's Ooh. it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's not down. great. It's, it's quite the, the fall from grace there. We also had a recent defection of a high-level Russian security officer who defected to the West and has now called Putin a war criminal.
0: Here's Mark Bennett from the Times UK, who interviewed and reported on the Russian defector,
2: discussing what he learned. Didn't he was um, with uh, Gleb Karakulov? who's a captain of Russia's Federal Guard Service, which is basically responsible for Kremlin security, for Putin's security. And his duties included providing encrypted communications for Putin, including on his foreign visits. And last October, when Putin was in Astana, the capital of Kazakhstan, Karakulov put into action a plan that he'd been plotting for quite a while to escape, well, to leave Russia to desert, basically, and to de- defect And his wife joined him in Astana with their small child and they, he managed to, as he says, um, divert the attention of his colleagues for a while and basically jump on the plane to Istanbul. Why did he come to the Mm -hmm. conclusion that he had to defect? Because he said he could no longer take orders from a war criminal, i.e. Putin, and that the war is basically the genocide of the Ukrainian people. He didn't want anything to do with it. And he also wanted his daughter, didn't want his daughter to grow up in Putin's kind of highly militarized totalitarian, totalitarian Russia.
0: And this was interesting because this officer was from a department. We don't hear a whole lot about the Federal Protective Service in Russia or the FSO. These are Putin's Praetorian Guards. These are the ones that keep a very close eye on him, on the president. They go around and make sure that nobody is messing with putin or his money.
1: Yeah, that that is that is another key point is the the FSO is in charge of the money.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you
1: have a mafia state like Russia and you have a lot of illicit funds, we you're you're going to run into the issue of Needing to keep rather detailed receipts and records of where that money has been put because you can't keep track of all those anonymous LLCs in your head. You have to have a master ledger somewhere. You have to be able to check on those funds because you have to know if someone is skimming uh-huh. from your anonymous LLCs.
0: I mean, you're banking with criminals, folks.
1: <laughs> right. And and we know from the offshore leaks database and from subsequent reporting that from the Guardian, from OCCRP, that the Russians laundered a lot of this money and some of it is directly owned by Putin and also by close friends and oligarchs in the country and there's also disputes about who actually owns some of the money because again you can you can say it's owned by putin's judo partner (laughs) but if it's in an anonymous llc and putin is still running the country who does who does it really belong to right and who needs it that week so part of the fso's remit essentially is yes they provide physical protection for Putin, for government officials, for his closest advisors, but they also track the money. And there's no telling what this particular FSO officer knows or doesn't know, but it's not something we in the West talk about very much, but it is a very important agency for this uh, very increasingly secretive regime. And, yeah, you don't want to have too many of these because you don't you don't know what he knows. You don't know what he took with him. And and that's scary. And we, we know Putin is rather paranoid already. And in some cases he has reason to be. But too bad. Don't be don't be a worker. Right.
0: And this guy definitely seems like he's got some stories to tell. I'm sure he's telling them to the relevant Western intelligence people at this point, And it's interesting to see where it goes from there. And finally, former President Bill Clinton made a statement about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, in which he expressed regret for his role in the 1994 Budapest Memorandum, in which Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons stockpile in exchange for security guarantees and a promise that Russia would not invade. He said, I feel a personal stake because I got them, Ukraine, to agree to give up their nuclear weapons, Clinton said. And none of them believe that Russia would have pulled this stunt if Ukraine still had their weapons.
1: Yeah, he's right. They wouldn't have. If Ukraine still had nuclear weapons, Russia would not have tried this. And if there's a lesson to be learned from U.S. international policy for the last 20 to 30 years, it's that you don't give up your nukes. It's the reason North Korea won't do it and... It's why Iran is still working so hard on their, their own nuclear program.
0: And this is part of the reason why we owe Ukraine our continued support. We, the United States, made some mistakes. We convinced Ukraine to give up their nuclear weapons in return for territorial integrity. Well, aiding their defense of Russia's full-scale invasion is the absolute least we can do in return.
1: Absolutely. Slava, Ukraini.
0: Here I am, Slava. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word for, and the letter M, all one word, and Griza, B-J-J, bjj, as well as BNWpod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.